This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Good morning. It's 9.04 on WNBF. Mayor Jared Cram on Thursday visited construction crews in the First Ward to announce details of the $1.2 million Glenwood Avenue reconstruction project, which began last week. Mayor Cram said Glenwood Avenue serves thousands of residents traveling to work, school, and businesses in the First Ward and was in terrible condition. This reconstruction project will make long overdue repairs and improvements to the street and upgrade the underground infrastructure that, that so many residents rely on. It's part of the city's commitment to investing in our infrastructure and making sure taxpayers receive the quality services they deserve. The reconstruction work will take place on Glenwood Avenue between Clinton Street and Prospect Street and includes removal of trolley tracks and sub-base, new pavement, new curbs and sidewalks, and upgrades to the underground water and sewer systems. On September 10th, shortly after 8 a.m., New York State Police at Ithaca were dispatched by Tompkins County 911 to a report of a vehicle that crashed into a wooded area off Coddington Road in the town of Ithaca. An investigation at the scene revealed that sometime in the morning hours of September 10th, Shea Colbert of Bridgewater, New York, or New Jersey, was traveling southeast on Coddington Road in the town of Ithaca. Colbert exited the roadway and struck multiple trees within the wooded area. He was pronounced deceased on scene. No one else was in the vehicle. Troopers were assisted by members of Bangs Ambulance, Ithaca Fire Department, and the medical examiner, and the investigation is ongoing. The governor of New York has declared a state of emergency over polio as evidence emerges that the virus is spreading across the state. Health officials say wastewater samples in New York City and four adjacent counties have tested positive for a polio virus that can cause paralysis. Although only one case has so far been confirmed, it was the first in the country in nearly a decade. Polio was largely eradicated from the U.S. by vaccinations that began in 1955. By 1979, the U.S. was declared polio-free, but according to New York officials, vaccination rates are too low in parts of the state. Friday's emergency declaration is aimed at boosting flagging immunization rates. There is no cure for polio, but it can be prevented by the vaccine. Mostly affecting children, the virus typically causes muscle weakness and paralysis, and in the most serious cases, permanent disability and death. According to a report in the Associated Press, the amount of yearly uncollected tolls on the Pennsylvania Turnpike grew by nearly 50% last year. A new government audit is urging the Turnpike Commission to address the problem and make changes to improve its finances. According to the AP report, the information follows up on an internal study that said more than $104 million in tolls from the Pennsylvania Turnpike were left on the table in 2021. The AP says an update in May found that number had grown to $155 million. The report indicates the losses had been anticipated after the turnpike converted to all-cash collections in 2020, laying off hundreds of toll collectors and auditors. Many vehicles have EasyPass that is supposed to record vehicle information and collect the toll information, billing drivers. Although turnpike cameras read license plates of vehicles without EasyPass and send bills to their owners, there are problems with obscured or faded plates camera system failures, and getting money from scofflaw drivers. The Associated Press cites turnpike officials as saying increasing traffic and higher tolls are driving the increase. And state lawmakers and advocates who support an increase in New York's minimum wage are making a renewed push for the measure amid rising costs, a tight labor market, and a recognition of labor's contributions as the summer ends. 
The Raise Up New York Coalition at the New York City Labor Day Parade this weekend sought to revive the successful campaign of only a few years ago to increase the state's minimum wage to $15. Supporters of a higher wage point to the cost of the higher cost of living, squeezing workers out of the gains made from that effort. Business organizations are likely to oppose any upward change in the state's minimum wage, pointing to the higher cost of doing business in New York and additional price pressures created by inflation. But wage workers in recent years have also made inroads. Workers at Starbucks and Amazon have successfully made union drives, and some employers have voluntarily lifted their hourly minimum pay in response to a worker shortage. It's 9.08, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Right now about 62 degrees, some fog out there this morning. 100% humidity and a dew point of 62 degrees, so a little muggy. Today, a slight chance of showers between noon and 2 p.m. and a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms after 2 p.m. Some of those storms could produce gusty winds and heavy rain. It's cloudy with a high near 77 today, a 40% chance of rain. Tonight, chance of showers and thunderstorms all night. Some of those storms could produce gusty winds and heavy rain as well. Some patchy fog between midnight and 5 a.m., otherwise mostly cloudy, a low near 62 degrees, a 70% chance of rain. Tomorrow, chance of showers and thunderstorms before 11 a.m., and a chance of showers between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., mostly cloudy, a high near 74 degrees, a 50% chance of rain. Tomorrow night, mostly clear, a low near 54, and Wednesday, mostly sunny, a high near 77. Wednesday night, partly cloudy, a low near 52 degrees. It's 9:10. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF. News Radio 1290, WMBF. I'm Bob Joseph. This is how it begins. Monday morning, September 12th, 2022, live and local, taking phone calls, 607-772-1290. If you have something to say, now is the time. Email bob at wnbf.com. What's on your mind? I would like to know. WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. This is Jim Baker from the Southern Tier Antique Tractor Club. How are you, Bob? Mr. Baker, I appreciate your call. I'm doing well. How are things? Well, not too bad. We are getting ready to dig potatoes this Saturday, and we are looking for help, of course. (laughs) Of course you are. Now, before we go any further, most of our listeners know what you're discussing, but some may be new to the concept. So, uh, first of all, uh, Jim Baker from the Southern Tier Antique Tractor uh, Club, tell us about this project that now has been going on for well over a decade. Well, it's been going on since 2008. We started the club, and we started with the intention to give back to the community. And somebody with a big mouth, namely me, I said, well, how about growing potatoes? And, oh, okay. So the first year we planted them by hand, dug them by hand. We did about 750 pounds. Well, since then, we've gone a little bit bigger. Uh, we've lost the potatoes in 2011 and 2018 because the fields flooded. And since the club has started, we've harvested a little over 200 tons of potatoes that we've given all to charity. 
So that's what the club is about. And uh, we also do sweet corn. Like, for an example, this year we donated uh, 200 dozen ears of sweet corn. So $5 a dozen, that's about, you know, $1,000 worth of sweet corn. Excellent. All goes to charity. Excellent. Now, how many people are currently active in the club? Uh, active about 10, but we have a membership of about 40. But, you know, at, at any club is the same way today, Bob. You know that. I mean, you, you have members and then you have active members. Uh, it, it's it's nothing against the, our members that aren't active as far as that goes. I mean, some of us are getting old uh, and we can't do much anymore. Uh, you know, and there are other circumstances where, where they, they, they join the club just to, to participate, you know, to be a member of the club. But it is what it is. Uh, so tell us about the, the the whole process of of potatoes because it all starts in the spring. So right. the planting happens when in May. In May, normally in May. Yeah, we we prepare the ground. Uh, we all do this with our antique tractors. Uh, the plowing, the disking, the dragging. We have an antique, a couple of antique planters that we use to plant the potatoes. We go to Cornell University, and they are generous uh, with the potatoes. They give us the potato uh, that we plant, which uh, actually what a potato grows from is another potato. So we take potatoes, we cut them up so that they're small enough to go through our planter and plant them in the ground. Then we go back and spray for the weeds. Then we cultivate uh, at least one time, and then we hill them one time. And uh, then when we get ready, uh, the tops, we brush hog them off, and then we have a digger that digs them out of the ground, drops them onto the ground, and all we do is pick them up, put them in uh, pails or bags or whatever, and then the, uh, the southern tier, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, food bank of the southern tier brings totes down, and we fill them and put them on their truck, and they take them back to Elmira, where they're distributed over six counties. So, so tell us what will happen this Saturday morning and how our listeners and perhaps their um, family members and friends can pitch in. All we need is bodies uh, that are able to bend down and pick potatoes up off the ground, put them, like I said, either in pails or bags. Our field is located just north of Phil's Chicken House on Route 26. You'll see a sign out there that says Potato Harvest for the Food Bank. Uh all we we need we just need able-bodied people. That's all we need. And all right. The more the merrier, because uh, the the more we have, the faster we get it done. So, in the past, you certainly have had quite a bit of assistance from young people, including high right. school students. Do you anticipate that kind of help this year? I just talked to uh, Pat, the principal of Seton Catholic, and he's going to have his uh, high school kids there. We also have another uh, contact who I don't know anything about, but uh, one of the other club members have, has, knows about it. And they are contacting the rest of the schools in the area to see if any of the students from the other schools in the area want to be involved with us. So, you know, the young people, it, it, it would be great if we can get the young people to do it. The, the need out there, Bob, is so, so great again. I know I was talking to a fellow the other day, went to a restaurant, and they one of their specialties is baked potatoes. They can't buy potatoes to bake. There isn't any. Wow. That's how sad it's getting to be. 
How is um, overall looking at at the fields? How is is the crop this year compared to recent years? They're small. I dug a couple of hills the other day, and they're small. And the main reason they're small is we haven't had any rain, you know, until recently, and the potatoes were through growing by the time we got the rain. But you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, you know, they're going to be. Oh, probably twenty, twenty to twenty-five percent smaller than they were last year. Yeah. Well, every what? little bit will help. Do you think, based on the potatoes that are there and the way things have gone in the past, do you think um, most of this year's harvest could be accomplished on this Saturday, or do you think that it may take some additional weekends? I hope we're going to all be able to do it all this Saturday. We've modified the potato digger. As, it, as the digger was before, we could only dig every other row because we'd run over them. Uh, we modified the digger now so that it takes them to one side so we can dig every row. So that means the potatoes are all going to be laying on the ground, hopefully Saturday morning, up. All and, right. Uh, that should work out much better for us. And again, for people who weren't paying attention, if they... Um have uh, some time on Saturday morning, or maybe their children or grandkids or neighbors also can uh, pitch in. Where should they show up, and what time Saturday morning? Uh, 8 o'clock Saturday morning, and like I said, it's a field just north of Phil's Chicken House on Route 26 over in West Corners. And all all help is greatly appreciated. Jim Baker, I... uh, actually had been thinking about you a week or two ago i drove past that that field and i was thinking gee i wonder how the potatoes are doing i i was expecting that i would hear from you i'm looking at one of my first stories that i did about this and it goes back almost 10 years was october Uh 2012 and the creative headline i used on the story tons of potatoes donated for binghamton area residents pretty good eh yeah, very good. And I and I, I, I greatly appreciate everything that you have done, Bob. I really do because we got to get the word out, and uh, this is this is one of the best ways we can do to get the word out. Well, we'd like to help our community. That's that's my mission. That's why I, that's why I keep doing this year after year. And I this is one of the things I truly look forward to. And I encourage you on Thursday or Friday morning to call in with. Um, a reminder because that that could I always help. Do that. Okay, I absolutely will do that. Jim Baker from the Southern Tier Antique Tractor Club, talking about the uh, now long-running program. It's been going on long enough to be a tradition, and I think we. It appears that we every year have talked about this effort grow potatoes, and then harvest the potatoes to feed people who are in need in the southern tier. Looks like we did it from year one, and I do look forward to it. I thank Jim Baker for keeping us posted, and I encourage everyone who is able to pitch in. Now, full disclosure, I haven't harvested potatoes in a few years, and I don't know certainly don't want to make any sort of empty promise. I don't know if I'll try this year. I will say this. It does help. The, the younger you are, the more potatoes you're going to harvest. I mean, 
For those who aren't familiar, for those of you who think potatoes come from Wegmans, no, potatoes grow in the ground, and yes, you actually have to get dirty, and you have to um, bend down, or however however you maneuver yourself to enjoy uh, the pleasure of harvesting potatoes, I have to say, until, until I tried it a few years ago as part of this volunteer effort. I just, I mean, I knew how potatoes were grown and how they were harvested, but I had never done it before. So it is rewarding. Yes, yes, you you may spend some time, in, um, yeah, in the dirt. Getting dirty. Nothing wrong with that. And it's for a good cause. Let me commend the Southern Tier Antique Tractor Club for doing this to help people here in the region. It's 922. I'm Bob Joseph. Looking forward to hearing from you. Anything happen over the last week or so that you think might be of interest to me? Run it past me. 607-772-1290. I'm Bob Joseph. This is News Radio WNBF. 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM. And stay connected with us using the free WNBF app. News Radio, 12.90 WNBF. morning you show the fight. Monday Morning Live on WNBF with Bob Joseph. It's 926-607-772-1290. Time for me to try to catch up on a few things. Uh, just prove we're live and local. Stock market will open in three and a half minutes, according to the CNN ticker. The Chiron says stock futures higher ahead of key inflation data. So there, I guess that's good news. These days, that's what passes for good news. All right, let's take a call live on the air. Hi, WNBF. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hey, good morning, Bob. This is DJ in Binghamton. How are you doing? I am well. How was your vacation? Have you read the papers? Your week-long frolicking, we missed you very much. Now nobody reads the newspapers anymore. Well, it was in all the news. Did you see the Sunday night action news? (laughs) No. So anyway, my side of the story is I enjoyed my vacation, so... That's 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 my story, and I'm sticking to it. So, what's what's new and exciting? That's what I wanted to hear because you you work hard, and we really do miss you. I wasn't joking around. It. Um, the potato picking. You said you did it, and I wanted to know: Did those potatoes come out easy? Do they come out pretty easy when you 
reach down and just pick it up. You don't have to struggle or nothing, right? No, it's not a struggle. It's just you have just, to. You, they're all in rows, and so they use the. I don't know the official name of the equipment. Oh, I know that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, you go row by row, and yeah, where where you see the where you see potatoes, you pull them out and you knock as much dirt off as you can and then put them in the potato bucket and then rinse okay, and repeat. Not that, okay, not that I've never had gardens because I've had a couple of really nice ones in my lifetime when I we had a house in Peoria and, uh, and Binghamton also, but I don't really remember. So my idea, the reason I asked, is because when I went picking up papers with Jerry Cram and them guys, and I do it with different volunteer groups, you don't have to bend over and pick up the paper. They have those long stem pickers that you hold. They're a bucket, a dollar tree. And I told all those guys, and they went and got some. So yeah, that, if one of those... that's easier than picking potatoes. I mean, it's it's not like it's a struggle. You don't have to, uh, you know, battle to get them out of the ground. But I'm not sure, say, if you have a, would, a shovel. But... Well, you can try. I Personally, I don't think it would be too productive. Or I think it would think be so? slow. Well, you know, Why, how would it be slow? I'm just saying. I don't know. Try it. Okay, I don't know. Um, I you know I'm I just don't want to get anyone's hopes up. You know, you get a yeah. um, a shovel or something. I uh, I would I look at uh, I, I guess I guess uh, I would look at YouTube to see if they they have helpful hints for harvesting Good potatoes. Idea. Yeah. You know, YouTube That's has the idea. answer. If you well, want to know anything, uh, pretty much, YouTube has your answers. Of course. Al Gore's Internet. Of course. We all, we all love Al Gore and his Internet. But, hey, I wanted to say, though, because the reason I was saying older people aren't going to go and bend over and pick it up. So if they had the pickers, they're a dollar at the Dollar Tree, you know. And another thing, if, I, if the man's listening, he said his name was uh, Jim Baker. I thought he was joking around. But anyway, if Jim Baker calls back, right? He should know to go to a, a lot of the churches, and they'll get the youth groups to come out and uh, different organizations. He should appeal to them. Oh, that's I a good. That's a good idea, actually. And and maybe he has, as he mentioned over the years. I don't know if it was right from the beginning, but it was pretty close to the beginning. Seton Catholic Central uh, students uh, have been very, very instrumental in harvesting and they've had support over the years of course richard bucci was the uh, president oh, yeah. of broom county catholic schools and so yeah. he he gave his support i'm i'm uh, not recalling if mr bucci former binghamton mayor ever um actually participated out with the potato harvest i believe he did but i I can't be sure. So he sure. he always supported it, and then uh, in more recent years, the uh, Catholic school administration and and the principal at Seton Catholic Central have been supportive, and I think that's good. But I I hope other school districts, uh, administrators, or teachers, um, even even uh, districts with with some young kids, I could see this is the type of thing where children and their parents, or maybe children and their grandparents, can really have fun exactly. over a, right. a period of three or four hours on a Saturday morning and then, you know, go to some place, we'll just say an Endicott afterwards, and treat them to donuts and cider. I'm just saying. 
Yes, and and there's homeschool associations that will also, because you know, like like it was said earlier, you know, our potatoes don't come from Price Chopper. Rich Rich Bucci was my dad's good friend. My dad Gary the Barber when he got attacked and robbed, he went up to see him. And I that's my favorite school. I love seeing the best school. Well, they do good work. Anyway, there, there you go, man. I All hope. Right. Uh, he can get the word out to him or something. All right. Well, they call themselves the Saints as opposed to one school around here. They call themselves the Devils. Can you imagine <laughs> having having the the battle the battle of the century between the Saints and the Devils? Oh, the Yankees and the Mets. I'm hoping, man, that's going to be something. <laughs> that It'll be fun. Have a good one, Bob. Thank you, sir. It's nine thirty-two at News Radio WNBF. I had forgotten about the. Um, fabulous televangelist and as they say on the internet convicted fraudster again you know who we're talking about a convicted fraudster isn't that bad when you look up your name on the internet and when they describe you they call you a televangelist and convicted fraudster but they say he's 82 they say he's 82 i would love to uh set up a chat with him I don't know what his health is these days. I, I've heard nothing about him uh, in recent years, but he was certainly he was certainly something. He was certainly something. Uh, I see uh, he got himself into trouble during COVID, so he may actually be well, according to this. Uh, the convicted fraudster sold supplements that he advertised as a panacea during the pandemic. And turns out, in March 2020, the New York State Attorney General's office ordered this convicted fraudster to cease making false medicinal claims about his supplement's alleged ability to cure the fabulous strains of coronavirus. It's made popular by the knack. Federal Trade Commission and FDA also sent warning letters to the convicted fraudster about his claims regarding the supplements and coronavirus. So apparently, at least as of two years ago, he was alive and well. So it might behoove me to get in touch with this convicted fraudster and one-time TV celebrity. Remember when that guy was on asking people to pass the loot, you know, send me money, send me m- money with my my uh, sidekick, Stormy Ray. And he made a lot of money. They made a lot of money. They had a theme park. They had a theme park in South Carolina. Although, sadly, it no longer operates. But wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if... The guy who is described on the internet as a convicted fraudster, if he could come up here to Binghamton and open up a new theme park. It's 9.35 near the Oakdale Mall. It's 9.35. This is Bob Joseph. On a Monday morning, 607-772-1290. If you have something to say, if you have something to write, send it to Bob at WNBF.com. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF, 1290 AM. 
92.1 FM and streaming at WNBF.com. Welcome to... You made it. So glad I made it. Give me some talking. 607-772-1290. It is a Monday morning with Bob Joseph. Want to commend those who were responsible for a very impressive program at Highland Park. On Sunday evening, the Remembrance Garden at Highland Park, and there was a, a ceremony. A lot of people, a lot of people were involved in making that special program possible. 21 years after the attacks on the United States of America and the program was very appropriate. Many community representatives spoke, and many members of uh, and, well, and town of Union community and those from outside in the immediate Endwell area showed up at the um, memorial, 9-11 memorial at Highland Park. Very appropriate. The uh, main community band performed, as did some other talented musicians. And I thought it was most appropriate. Most appropriate. So I commend everyone involved in that. Of course, there were other special ceremonies on Sunday as well in our area and across the USA. It's 942 WNBF, WNBF.com. Well, here's something that I always look forward to doing after uh, spending a week away from the wide world of news. I always like to think when I take a week off that the news would stop so I don't miss anything, but somebody pointed out, you know, even though you're not reporting the news and even though you're not paying attention to anything going on in the world, the news does continue, Bob, with or without you. So now, <laughs> here we are. I haven't paid attention to the news in about 10 days, so now... Join me as I start to catch up 
I have here. I know people are saying, oh, Bob, you're not going to read the front page of the newspaper, are you? That's on such a traditional way that nobody indulges in any, in any way. Yes, I'm going to read the front page of the Times, at least to try to catch up. They conveniently put it in some sort of uh, almost orange plastic protective uh, thing, and then they put a rubber band. Not sure why that is necessary, but they do. So let me read the front page of today's Times, all the news that fits. This is the National Edition, Monday, September 12, 2022, as I start to catch up. Now, admittedly, this doesn't help me at all when it comes to trying to determine if anything happens in the Binghamton area over the past week. I'll I'll rely on listeners to fill me in on, on anything that might have happened around here over the past week. So, all right, the New York Times, big headline, Stunned Moscow admits to losing most of Kharkiv. And they have two stories. One, an emboldened Kiev wants more arms, and the other, retreat-dense image of a mighty Putin. So, hmm, maybe something is going on with the war. So this story, Dateline Kharkiv, by Andrew Kramer and Andrew Higgins, stunned by a lightning advance by Ukrainian forces that costed over 1,000 square miles of land and a key military hub, Russian on su- Russia on Sunday acknowledged that it had lost nearly all of the northern region of Kharkiv after a blitzkrieg thrust that cast doubt on a premise widely held in Moscow and parts of the West that Ukraine could never defeat Russia. Hmm. Okay, so that's, that's the latest on the war. And then there's a photo on page one. It shows um, damaged military equipment. I don't know my military equipment, but these look like some sort of transport vehicles. It says the Kharkiv region in Ukraine, after the Russian military retreated, the occupiers continued to fall back on Sunday. Also in the news, poorer nations get little help on monkeypox. Sounds similar to what happened in the early days of COVID-19. Countries that were wealthy, of course, got the most help. Countries that were poor tended to get the least assistance. Also, there's a story here about a quiet, dramatic blow to childhood poverty. And it claims that um, apparently... America's children have become much less poor over the past 30 years. So I guess that might be good news. Also, um, Atlanta DA takes on crime and a president. Hmm. All right. What's this going on here? The uh, sports news. All right, something about football. I don't understand that. But So anyway, now I'm caught up. <laughs> Barely. Let me just see what the editorials are. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. 
apparently I didn't miss much. Anyway, I'll continue. Oh, I know what I need to really take a look at. Business. Business. Huh. So you wanted to get work done at the office. So it's a pretty standard New York Times Monday business story, which was probably written within the last week or two. Um, so stories about people going back to the office. Some are nostalgic for the silence they had at home, especially since in-office perks intended to lure people back and make it harder to concentrate. <laughs> well, it's true. Every once in a while, here at the station, we'll have lunch brought in or parties. Last time they did that, which is right before I took a few days off, they brought in lunch, and I was such a dedicated worker, I didn't even take a break for lunch. That's how dedicated I was, because, let's face it, the stories aren't going to write themselves. I could take a break for lunch when they bring in all sorts of delicious food as we celebrate life. But the fact is, every minute that I take away from my journalistic duties and responsibilities will mean another minute or probably five minutes that I have to spend working on the story, so there's no point when <laughs> I look at it. When they bring in lunch or have a party, there's no point in taking time off because all it means is then I'll be getting home around midnight. 9.48 WNBF, let's take a call here on the hotline. Good morning, hotline. What's your oh, first name? Good morning. Who is this? So, Carol from Carol, Johnson yes. City? Good morning. Yes, hi. Uh, we bypassed the other person because I was going to tell him what I wanted to talk about. And here, I heard the beep, and there you were. <laughs> yeah, oh. what's, uh, what's on your mind? Well, geez, you got me in a fluster now. What was I going to say? Yes, I remember. Uh, Mayor LaGuardia, you know I don't have the Internet. So when did Mayor LaGuardia, what years, what decade, was he reading the comics on Sunday morning? Because there was somebody on a local radio station that I... And it was in the late 40s, mid to late 40s, and it, I don't know if it, it probably wasn't Mayor LaGuardia. It was probably somebody else. So I'm just curious if... Uh, it's 1945. 1945. Is when he started? That's when he read the comics because there was a big newspaper strike in New York City. Wow. So maybe it was him on the radio that I was listening to. That's what we should do now. We should get uh, that guy who's mayor of Binghamton and have him read the Sunday <laughs> comics so I don't have to go buy the Sunday paper, right? If he doesn't answer phone calls, why is he going to have time to read the paper on the radio? Uh, that's a good point. Uh, and I, I'm he's, just he's very, very busy. Well, I was referring to um, when they were taking out some red lights on Riverside Drive. You know, if uh, if you have a comment to make about this, call this number. And it turned out it was his number when he was, uh, as Mayor Ryan would say, there's no deputy mayor, but he's assistant to the mayor, whatever. Uh, I, I called, and he never called. I think I called twice and uh, never got returned. So it's because he's very busy. Well, this is pre, you know, this is when Rich David was still mayor. Well, Mayor David was really busy, too. Yes. Okay, can I make a comment about... Uh, what do I want to make a comment about? The red-eyed guys we're talking Yeah, about. hold that thought. Hold that thought, because just just for kicks, just for you, mm -hmm. I, um, I've queued up just part of Fiorello 
LaGuardia. LaGuardia. Yeah, from 1945. Just listen, and this is how it sounded on the radio when New York City's mayor... Oh, goody, you're going to yeah. play it. Yeah, so New York City's mayor, of course, was very busy, but he also understood the importance of serving his constituents, so he read the Sunday comics on the radio during the big newspaper strike. Here's Dick Tracy. Now, here, the first picture is the laundry wagon. It's a yellow laundry wagon. And wet wash, that's the driver, you know. He's uh, very calmly sitting down with his back toward the back of the wagon, eating his lunch. And our little friend, eating house, what do you think? Oh, right. We get the gist of it, obviously. Okay, the the well, quality wasn't, wasn't the Dolby stereo. The guy's voice that I remember, that's that's not, so it wasn't LaGuardia. It must have been somebody else. I, I don't know who it would have been. Giuliani, I would guess. No. <laughs> I, am I older than him? I think I, I, think I might be. Okay. You know, Giuliani is America's mayor. I know, I know. And uh, I don't know, I, I feel bad about all this baloney that was going on with uh, Trump. And uh, Why? Scandalous. I don't know, because... Why would you even care? Well, because I do care. I care about people's feelings and yeah, like but that. but it's fine. I mean, all all they were doing was what they wanted to do. I don't think, I don't think they're sad about it. I don't I don't get the sense that anybody who was involved in the shenanigans really cares. It sounds like they got what they wanted. I love that word shenanigans. It was very apropos. <laughs> I was going to say if. If the it shoe fits, damaging. it wasn't. It wasn't. Really you know, Endicott damaging. Johnson. If if Endicott Johnson was still in business, their new 2023 dress-up shoe for politicians <laughs> would be called the Shenanigans. Go get yourself a <laughs> pair of Shenanigans at your local EJ Footwear outlet. How much time do I have before the news? Can I just make a comment about? You have enough time. You don't have much time, but you have enough. Well. The red-eyed guys were really, well, not only the red-eyed guys, but uh, John Batchelor, he's been having uh, very knowledgeable guests who are scientists or some sort of uh, involvement in the sciences, and they are all saying that this business with the, well, there's another reason why I brought it up, but all this uh, business about uh, wind, you know, wind and, uh, oh my God, I can't even think straight now. But the, the one of the reasons, one of the reasons I, I brought this up is because I went to Auburn last week Wednesday, and guess did what you I visit the prison? No, I went to the Mary Garone Playhouse. I was in. Oh, okay. When I was in Auburn a few weeks ago, I visited the prison. I drove around it a couple of times. Yeah, I was. They, you know, you know how it looks really austere and and old fashioned. I, it's it's time. Like yeah, but it's time. You know what I want to say about the prison? It's time for them to modernize it because it looks looks like it could use an upgrade. But it, uh, when I was out there filming a little thing for uh, the program, because I was there on a Sunday afternoon and I wanted to do a little thing, so recently? people like recently, yeah, a few weeks ago, oh. I was up at the prison and. Not because I know anybody. People are saying, well, of course you were, because most of your former colleagues are, are there doing hard time and making license plates. I love but, to stay in the slammer. Yeah. The big yeah, house. Yeah, the big house. But um, I, like, I happen to like that prison. What I want to do is get inside, not as 
a paying customer, but just to get inside to do a story about the guys who are making our license plates. Well, how about the bar next door that had an electric chair on display, and the chair was called Sparky? Yeah, that's did tasteless. Ever, did you ever hear that? Yeah, I didn't hear that, but if that's true, that is absolutely tasteless. Well, I don't think it's there any longer. My uncle drove a tractor trailer, and uh, probably back in the 60s or 70s, uh, he was uh, doing trips to Auburn, and uh, that's how I you know, heard about it. But I do believe someone told me it's no longer there. So what did those red-eye guys have to say? Well, between the red-eye guys and the fact that when I was driving to Auburn, it's like the combination of these two things, guess what I saw when I was going north on 81, going south? There must have been like a 10 or 12 cavalcade of cars carrying two of those blades from the, what do you call it, those windmill. I know. I, and, and funny, I, I funny you mentioned the highlight of my vacation was driving I, past one of those things. I'm going to put the video up. It's not going to do you any good, but it's going to be on Twitter. Two of them. I well, mean, I drove past me. only one, and I thought, what if it falls on my car? This would be a great video if it falls on my car, but unfortunately it stayed on the truck. But I'm still going to post the video because that was big. You could see all these blinking lights. Well, I was going north and the blades were going south. And the other thing was I thought there was an accident. I thought there were ambulances and fire trucks, and it was just the cavalcade of uh, escorts that were with these uh, blade, blade runners. <laughs> yeah, that's what you call them, blade runners. Well, I appreciate the call. I'm going to put up that video this afternoon because I was so proud to get a, a video of one of those blades without it falling on me. Bob Joseph, Monday morning on WNBF. Some Bob Joseph with you on a Monday morning on WNBF. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. It's 10.04. You're listening to WNBF. Mayor Jared Cram on Thursday visited construction crews in the First Ward to announce details of the $1.2 million Glenwood Avenue reconstruction project, which began last week. Mayor Cram said Glenwood Avenue serves thousands of residents traveling to work, school, and businesses in the First Ward and was in terrible condition. This reconstruction project will make long overdue repairs and improvements to the street and upgrade the underground infrastructure that so many residents rely on. It's part of the city's commitment to investing in our infrastructure and making sure taxpayers receive the quality services they deserve. The reconstruction work will take place on Glenwood Avenue between Clinton Street and Prospect Street. It includes removal of trolley tracks and sub-base, new pavement, new curbs and sidewalks, and upgrades to the underground water and sewer systems. On September 10th, shortly after 8 a.m., New York State Police at Ithaca were dispatched by Tompkins County 911 to a report of a vehicle that crashed into a wooded area off Coddington Road in the town of Ithaca. An investigation at the scene revealed that sometime in the morning hours of September 10th, Shea Colbert of Bridgewater, New Jersey, was traveling southeast on Coddington Road in the town of Ithaca. Colbert exited the roadway and struck multiple trees within the wooded area. He was pronounced deceased on scene. No one else was in the vehicle. Troopers were assisted by members of Bangs Ambulance, Ithaca Fire Department, and the medical examiner. The investigation is still ongoing. The governor of New York has declared a state of emergency over polio as evidence emerges that the virus is spreading across the state. Health officials say wastewater samples in New York City and four adjacent counties have tested positive for a polio virus that can cause paralysis. Although only one case has so far been confirmed, it was the first in the country in nearly a decade. 
Polio was largely eradicated from the U.S. by vaccinations that began in 1955. By 1979, the U.S. was declared polio-free, but according to New York officials, vaccination rates are too low in parts of the state. Friday's emergency declaration is aimed at boosting flagging immunization rates. There is no cure for polio, but it can be prevented by the vaccine. Mostly affecting children, the virus typically causes muscle weakness and paralysis, and in the most serious cases, permanent disability and death. According to a report in the Associated Press, the amount of yearly uncollected tolls on the Pennsylvania Turnpike grew by nearly 50% last year. A new government audit is urging the Turnpike Commission to address the problem and make changes to improve its finances. According to the AP report, the information follows up on an internal study that said more than $104 million in tolls from the PEA Turnpike were left on the table in 2021. The AP says an update in May found that number had grown to $155 million. The report indicates the losses had been anticipated after the turnpike converted into all-cash collections in 2020, laying off hundreds of toll collectors and auditors. Many vehicles have EasyPass that is supposed to record vehicle information and collect the toll information, billing drivers. Although turnpike cameras read license plates of vehicles without EasyPass and send bills to their owners, there are problems with obscured or faded plates, camera system failures, and getting money from scofflaw drivers. The Associated Press cites Turnpike officials as saying increasing traffic and higher tolls are driving the increase. State lawmakers and advocates who support an increase in New York's minimum wage are making a renewed push for the measure amid rising costs, a tight labor market, and recognition of labor's contributions as the summer ends. The Raise Up New York Coalition at the New York City Labor Day Parade this weekend sought to revive the successful campaign of only a few years ago to increase the state's minimum wage to $15. Supporters of a higher wage point to the higher cost of living, squeezing workers out of the gains made from that effort. Business organizations are likely to oppose any upward change in the state's minimum wage, pointing to the higher cost of doing business in New York and additional price pressures created by inflation. But wage workers in recent years have also made inroads. Workers at Starbucks and Amazon have successfully made union drives, and some employers have voluntarily lifted their hourly minimum pay in response to a worker shortage. It's 1008, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WNBF. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Right now about mid-60s, 100% humidity and a dew point of 62 degrees. Today, chance of showers with thunderstorms also possible after 3 p.m. Might see some gusty winds and heavy rain. Mostly cloudy, a high near 73, a 40% chance of rain. Tonight, chance of showers and thunderstorms before 7 p.m. And showers likely and possibly a thunderstorm between 7 p.m. and 3 a.m. Some of those storms could produce gusty winds and heavy rain as well. Cloudy with a low near 60 degrees. Chance of rain, 60%. Tomorrow, chance of showers and thunderstorms pretty much all afternoon. Chance of rain, 50%. Mostly cloudy with a high near 70 degrees. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy, a low near 53. And Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 73. Wednesday night, partly cloudy, a low near 50 degrees. It's 1010, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Joseph, 
the second hour of your Monday program. Truly live, truly local. Taking calls, 607-772-1290. I hope your week is off to a delightful start. I know mine is. Uh, Good to be on your radio with all the information you may need. I have a sneaking suspicion there are going to be some very interesting stories popping up around the area. On the other hand, whatever you do, don't pay too close attention to the New York Post. I won't go into explicit detail. I'll just say the New York Post has lost its way. Rupert Murdoch, what have you done with my post Mr. Murdoch, bring back the real New York Post. (laughs) Bring back the real New York Post. That's all we want. We just want the New York Post back. Please. Please. Give us the New York Post. Please. 607-772-1290. And we'll be taking some of your calls. We will have plenty to talk about today. Plenty. Plenty. To talk about. First, though, let's discuss scouting. We're joined now by Matthew Bull. Scout Executive for the Baden-Powell Council. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well. May I call you Matt? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, Mr. Bull. (laughs) Ah. Anyway, uh, good to have you on the program. We've been uh, meaning to have a a little get-together on on the radio for a while, and I'm glad we have this opportunity. So welcome to WNBF. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on today. So... Uh, a lot going on in scouting, and we will talk about some of the things, especially as we head into um, the fall months. It's an important time for scouting uh, here in our area and across the United States. Before we go any further, though, tell me a bit about yourself. You've now been the scout executive here in the Binghamton area for, I find this hard to believe, is it true, for three and a half years? Yeah, that's right. March of 2019, I made the trek up north from Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, and uh, yeah, I've been have been the scout executive since then. Um, yeah, I originally I grew up in the Pocono Mountains, Pennsylvania. Went uh, graduated from college at Kutztown University down there, and then after college, I said, you know, let me let me see what it's like to not experience winter for six months out of the year. So I moved down to southeastern North Carolina, was down there for about 11 years. And then this opportunity came up, and, uh, you know, my we like to go outdoors. We like to go hiking. We like the mountains. We like water. We like the streams. So we said, hey, let's go back up north and uh, do that. And I'll tell you, um, we've just fallen in love with the area. My wife was born and raised in South Carolina and never really seen more than a dusting of snow and when we came up to interview, 
That was during the polar vortex, and it was negative five degrees when the plane landed. And I tell you what, she's been a trooper and just uh, has been skiing, falling in love with the area. And I have to say, she must have been especially impressed on December 17th, 2020, with the amount of snow we received then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was a great time. I four hours snow blow in the driveway, and the whole time her and the kids were out there just sledding down the hill. They were having a great time. Well, you can handle it because you're an Eagle Scout. Eagle Scouts are able to handle about anything, including snow removal. That's right. Well, be prepared is our motto. So. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a good motto that, that, that should apply also to, to uh, journalists. Be prepared. It, it applies to, to scouting and journalists. Actually, should apply to, to all aspects of life. Just be as prepared as possible. So, that's right. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, the local council in a moment. How did you get involved in scouting as as a young boy? Tell me about your early days as as a scout and ultimately uh, becoming an Eagle Scout. Sure, sure. So we, my family, we moved to the Poconos in '96. It was in the sixth grade, and uh, you know, classic story. The, the, the neighbor next door said, "Hey, we're in scouting. Do you want to come to a meeting?" I did, and I don't know, I feel like a light bulb just went off, and we were talking about going outdoors and hiking and backpacking and all of the things that, you know, I kind of was excited to do as a kid and didn't have a chance to do until then. Um, so I joined. My brother joined the Weeblos, uh pack that was with the, the troop as well, and then um, you know, did that all through high school. In, two th- in the year 2000, I started working at – Camp Mincy, Boy Scout Summer Camp in the Poconos, um, did that all through college. Right there in 2001, I, I completed my Eagle Scout uh, rank. I refurbished the basement of the Historical Society in Monroe County in Stroudsburg, PA, um, which was a neat experience. I got to meet the president judge of Monroe County and do a whole thing there. Uh, but then after college, you know, and I was a camp director down at Camp Mincy, um, towards the end of my college career, I was really thinking about, you know, I, I understand that there's a profession of scouting and uh, started to look into that more and thought, you know, this might be um, scouting is something that I was passionate about. And I thought, you know, this might be a good career choice. And I got into it. And again, I, I just kind of fell in love with um the career of scouting, you know, working with volunteers, facilitating that, recruiting people, raising money. I mean, doing all those things for an organization that I love, um, I, I call it, you know, it was my calling in life to do that. So that's how I got into scouting. The neighbor next door, blame him. <laughs> it's it's often, that's often the case. It's 1018, we're speaking with Matt Bull, who is the scout executive for the Baden-Powell Council here in Broome County. Now, I mentioned as we uh, transition from summer to fall, be officially fall in um, just uh, less than 10 days, now is the time when a lot of people look look forward to uh, special events and um, sort of focusing on, and essentially it's not just a new year for, for um, school kids, but even for scouting, you, I'm sure, are working to, to organize special events and getting people more active during the fall and winter months? Oh, yeah. We've, we've got uh, this. You're right. I mean, this is 
Summer is a busy time for us, but September, October, November, I mean, this is probably the busiest time of the year for us because we're in the schools, uh, we're recruiting new kids, and so every festival, every event we're out at, uh, you know, we have these inflatable archery ranges uh, with a big foam tip arrow, so those are all over the place. If you've been to any event recently, um, you've probably seen that there, including the Rumble Ponies, a few others. And then, you know, this is perfect camping weather. It's, you know, fall camperie season at Tuscarora. Uh, it's just a wonderful time of year. And a, like you said, it's everyone's buzzing with excitement as not only we get back into school, but the scouting year kind of kicks off as we return to it from summer. What's the best way for people to get involved, say, if they haven't already had a a neighbor or somebody in, in school um, approach them and, and discuss the uh, values of, of scouting? Say, if you don't know where to begin, what's the best way to get started, whether uh, you're a parent or a grandparent or, or perhaps uh, just a, a young person wanting to know uh, what the first steps are? Sure. You know, it's as easy as going to a website. It's called bascout.org. B-E-A-Scout.org, and you go there, type in your zip code, select, you know, if you're in, if you've got a kid in elementary school or middle school, you'd select Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts or Scouts BSA, rather, uh, and then that will show you all of the units in your area, all of the PACs or troops. You know, I live in Vestal, so I'm part of uh, PAC 224, and so when I was looking to join, I, I went there to BeAScout.org and, and found those units. That's the easiest place to get started. If you just want to talk to the local person who meets at your church around the corner, that's how you can find them out, bascout.org. Tell us a bit about the the local council, the geographic area that the council encompasses. Sure. We, we cover six counties, five in New York, uh, Broome, Shenango, Tompkins, Cortland, and Tioga, and one county in Pennsylvania, Susquehanna County. Uh, you know, we're one of, we're, we're, I would say here in Binghamton is a very old Boy Scout Council started back, um, really right after scouting took off in the United States, right around 1920 or so is what we're talking about, um, in Johnson City and Endicott and Binghamton. Uh, we've got, we've got right around 1,500, uh, scouts in the program. Uh, served by over 2,000 volunteers, and we expect that by the time that we get to the end of this year, we'll be we'll have around 2,000 families in scouting across our area. So um, we're very excited, very excited to be bringing everybody in. One thing that's uh, a recent change for uh, Boy Scouts, girls now can join. Tell us about this. This has only been going on for the last few years. Yeah, that's a big change. In um, in uh, I want to say February of 2019, scouting uh, all of our programs officially became open to to the entire family, and it, it's it, it's been awesome. I guess is the best way to explain it because if you've ever been in scouting, there was always a sister there. There's always been girls around scout troops. And oftentimes they're referred to as the mascot of our unit or they're the junior scouts. And, you know, they don't get to earn or necessarily get the same recognition as their brothers would, even though they've been doing the program shoulder to shoulder the whole time. 
So we finally have recognized those families, those girls, and brought them in. And I'll tell you, too, you know, again, I'm an Eagle Scout. I work for the Boy Scout. I'm a father of daughters. I have two girls, no boys. And if it wasn't for this, you know, one of the most important formative, uh, you know, organizations in my life, I would never have gotten the opportunity to do all this with my daughter like I am now. You know, she's in second grade. She's a Wolf Scout. I'm proud to be her den leader. Um, and, and honestly, it was a proud day for me when the Boy Scouts opened up our membership to the whole family. Are there any troops locally that are specifically girl troops? We do, and that's the way that it operates in the middle school ages for Scouts BSA. They're, they're separated by gender. We have boy troops and girl troops. We have a number here in the Binghamton area, uh, I think 123, there's a 110. Um, so we, we have a number. And I would say, too, it's, you know, we haven't seen the floodgates open with thousands of girls coming into the program here, but it grows every year, especially through Cub Scouting. And we now have family dens, um, you know, where boys and girls come together once a week to do the scouting program. You know, your church fellowship hall or, um, you know, the VFW. Uh, yeah, we've got in my den, we've got two girls and four boys. Right now, do you have an estimate of approximately how many girls are participating within the local council? Yeah, I want to say we got around like 250 in scouting and probably closer to the, you know, like 300 in Cub Scouts. So are you anticipating those numbers to, to grow over the next few years? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Every year we recruit more and more girls as well as boys into our Cub Scouting program. And then as they advance through Cub Scouts, eventually they become uh, scouts. So uh, it's it's been good. I mean, the let's take COVID out of the equation. But since we started uh, opening our program, you know, to girls, we've seen that number increase every year, a net increase. And honestly, what's interesting is the girls stay in the program. Um, they are more likely to stay in scouting than a lot of the boys are. I thought it was interesting earlier this year, and of course we are a litigious society, so no surprise here. There was a, actually a trademark case. Boy Scouts of America uh, had been facing a, a lawsuit, a trademark lawsuit brought by the Girl Scouts, but ultimately a judge ruled that the Boy Scouts organization, which is now co-ed, can use the term scouting. And I thought that was a very interesting uh, court case. It was an interesting court case, and you know, and the Girl Scouts run a tremendous program, um, and they've been around, I think, just as long as the Boy Scouts. They were started by, um, I think, the cousin or sister of the founder of the Boy Scouts uh, movement globally. So very interesting, but uh, yeah, you know, and at the end of the day, all we want, all anybody wants, and in, in, in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, is that the kids get involved in something. You know, we only serve between Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts combined, uh, you know, pre-COVID, maybe only 10% of, of young people in the country uh, were are even involved in any sort of after-school extracurricular type of organization. So that was really our pool to pull from. And all we want is we want everybody, I think it's important 
for every kid to get involved in something outside of school as well. So uh, both organi- idea, both organizations can coexist. Oh, we absolutely can coexist. Uh, in fact, I, I think you'll see that many girls who are in Girl Scouts stay in Girl Scouts and join Boy Scouts at the same time, and they work with both programs to achieve the highest rank. In Girl Scouts, that's the gold award. It's very prestigious. And then in Scouting and the Boy Scouts, it's the Eagle Scout. Are we ever going to see a time when your organization is selling cookies and their organization is selling popcorn? <laughs> I wish we could sell cookies. <laughs> oh, man, I love those things. They buy a case every year. Yep. Uh, yeah, maybe one day. I'd love to trade that. That'd be great. You touched on uh, COVID, and I imagine just the last two or two and a half years have been especially challenging for the organization. It's been challenging for, for all of us in various ways. Tell us about, uh, certainly in the spring and summer of 2020, how the scouting organization made changes and sort of what, what has transpired since um, COVID became an issue and, and now as we uh, look forward to hopefully better days in, in the fall of 2022, where things stand? Sure, absolutely. You know, during COVID, um, one, we, I would say in our Scouts BSA program, that middle school age group, I mean, those kids transitioned very quickly to Zoom meetings, backyard camperies, doing a lot of stuff virtually, virtual campfires, really just to stay engaged with the unit. And throughout COVID, I mean, one of the positives that that was encouraged was to get outside, be in the outdoors. So we kept our camp open for anybody to go up there who wanted to go camping or hiking to go around. In the Cub Scout program, we did see a lot of loss. Uh, and I get it, you know, for, for a family that's looking for an organization that specializes in outdoor education to then convert that to Zoom while kids are on Zoom calls all day with school, I don't think is exactly appealing. So we recognize that. So we lost some membership there. Uh, however, since I would say maybe the fog of COVID has lifted, uh, we've seen a resurgence in our numbers. I mean, we are already through through this part of the year, we're at a 40% growth in Cub Scouts, which is unheard of. In my career, I've never seen growth that quick or that large in such a short period of time. Um, So I'm really encouraged by that, that we're back outdoors. uh, We're meeting regularly indoors. You know, masks are optional at this point. So a lot of the barriers um, to joining or staying in the program have really been lifted now that, the, like I said, the fog is kind of lifted. So uh, we're very encouraged by that. We're very excited for our fall membership campaign this year. Uh, I think it's exciting. You know, camp-wise, that was probably the biggest hurdle that we dealt with in 2020. We just had to cancel our summer camp and do Zoom. And then in 2021, uh, if you remember, you know, the guidance from the state was so – it was last minute and really left a lot to interpretation. It was very confusing. So in 2021, we had two weeks of camp, summer camp. Uh, we did, I want to say, 250 kids that summer, which, frankly, is beyond our wildest expectations. And then this summer, we had a full season of camp, and it was the largest season of camp we'd had at Tuscarora in about seven years. So very encouraging, very exciting. 
What's the biggest short-term challenge that the council faces as you look ahead, say, to the next, oh, 12 to 24 months? I mean, our biggest council, or, yeah, sorry, our, our biggest difficulty short-term is just, you know, keeping the momentum of membership growth going forward. Uh, and then really, I would say, too, one of the things that we're working on the most is uh, being more visible in the community. You know, I mean, one of the things is you think back, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, any parade, any festival, you know, scouts are out there in uniform, they're cleaning up parks and stuff. So we want to get our groups back out into the public so we can just remind people that scouting is still here and we're still very strong. Of course, one thing, and and many people in various communities around here realize it, um, and and these things have, um, in many cases, a profound impact on on our our towns and villages or the city of Binghamton. The uh, specific projects that are done as part of um, young people earning their um, becoming an Eagle Scout. I mean, those Eagle Scout projects just have have been just so noticeable as you look around Broome and Tioga counties and the other counties as well. I'd say, you know, Bob, to that point, I walk around any park, go over to Shenango Valley State Park, hike on the trail, and you'll see there's a couple of bridges, and they have Eagle Scout plaques right on them. You go to any of the parks, you're going to find benches, you know, cemeteries get cleaned up all the time by scouts. You know, we are... Um, it is often, uh, I would say, kind of kind of an unseen benefit to the community of how many hours are poured into the community through the service that just from Eagle Scout projects, just on their own. Um, and it's a fun game. I mean, go over to the Discovery Center Children's Garden. You'll find two or three Eagle Scout plaques tacked up around there uh, for scouts that did projects there. It's very cool. Matthew Bull, a pleasure. Again, if people want more information, what's the website? BASCOUT.org. Boy Scouts of America, now including girls, families, Baden-Powell Council, based here in Binghamton, covering uh, southern tier counties and also Susquehanna County in Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you. It was a pleasure. Hope you have a great day. You as well. It's 1033. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to News Radio WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM. Always available free on the WNBF app. Number to call 607 772 1290. Or if you'd like to send an email, Bob at WNBF.com. You're in. Ten thirty six with WNBF taking calls. John from Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air. Hi WNBF. Good morning. You're on the air. Hi Bob. How you doing? Good. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had the uh, announcement of the airline 
the new airline uh, that's going to be underwritten by taxpayers uh, for up to a million dollars and more money thrown in to advertise. Now, I, I suggest one thing. I, you could lure any business, any business at all, uh, by the truckload if you're going to guarantee money for advertising and underwrite their losses. <laughs> you know, uh, so, uh, but I did file a freedom of information request, and I do this periodically, sort of a channel check, and uh, the Broome County Airport is uh, owed by uh, one they call them clients or customers. Uh, $390,000 is over 60 days due. Now, the problem is is that the airport, uh, that's not landing fees, Bob, because uh, on a single piston, the airline gets nothing. If you go up to private jets, you're talking about $30, $50 landing fee. So it's obviously for fuel or rent. So, and I, uh, either somebody is in trouble again. And the last time I did this, it was interesting because EIT showed up with $170,000 that they owed. And I had begged County Executive Preston at the time, you know, why don't you resolve this? Why don't you put some feet, uh, some, some collection effort into this thing? And she didn't, and the county got stuck. So I think that, uh, oh, and by the way, the, the exact identity, it's known as uh, customer number nine, ironically. The exact identity. <laughs> Wait a second. This has nothing to do with Elliot Spritzer. Uh, no. Okay. No, just want I, I just want to click as far as we know. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, the county uh, declined to name uh, the uh, customer and the other customers that owe the airport. Uh, citing legal and security reasons. Now, this is, of course, absurd, and that request uh, was appealed. We'll see what happens then. They don't have a leg to stand on. Uh, somebody owes the county money. There is no security reason in that, and there is no legal reason in that. So, uh, you know, we, we have to, uh, you know, they have a limit. What I'm getting at is they have a limited ways to make money at the airport parking the ticket tax uh they've got uh, uh if you go to the airport website they've got offices for rent up there they've got uh, ticket counters for rent i i uh, wrote the airport commissioner and said well i'd be interested in the 125 square foot office that they have and i haven't heard back from them so uh before we embark on this uh, four day a week uh, experiment uh which is going to be successful because, like I say, if you're going to if you're going to cover somebody's losses, then you know they're going to they're going to hopefully uh, execute their end of the bargain. But who owes that three hundred sixty thousand dollars? And it only could be a couple of people. It only could be a couple of people. Oh, by the way, and don't blurt it on the on the no. air, but cause no. I don't want trouble here. But do you think you know? Uh yeah. Okay, yeah, that's... I think I know. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> and I'll tell you why I think I know. Based on, it, it could only be for fuel. It could only be for fuel. And uh, the uh, based on the activities, uh, there's there there there's two, uh, three three entities 
uh, one person and two entities that could be uh, involved in that. But I, I just don't understand. You know, in most businesses, Bob, you have a, a uniform credit and collection policy, and you know, thirty, sixty, ninety, and you handle all accounts equally. And I, this is a tremendous amount of money. And I think County Executive Gardner and the Legislative Chairman Dan Reynolds uh, and the Airport Commissioner owe us some explanation as to when the taxpayers are going to get paid. Are they just going to allow what happened in the EIT's case, where the partners were stuffing uh, millions in their pockets and then sticking the county? I mean, I, I don't and, – and, and is – has and here, this is another interesting wrinkle to it. Has has are the people that owe this money, the entities, are they campaign contributors? You know, and is that why uh, they're not up to snuff? But that's a huge amount of money. That is a lot. I appreciate your calling it to my attention. Thank you, John from Binghamton. Keeping an eye on a few things around here. It's ten forty one. Our mission, of course, is to always ask a few questions and, along the way, obtain a few answers. That's the goal. It's all with the sole intent of making the Binghamton region better for everyone. 607-772-1290. You're listening to Bob Joseph on WNBF. Vote. real deal with bob joseph taking the calls at 607-772-1290 airport road bob good morning you're on the air hey bob how are you good how's it going great just want to follow up on uh john's information on the airport um i don't have you know written facts but it's been uh told or rumored among the employees at the airport that this new airline coming in um, to service Binghamton that we're spending all this money on um, will not have a service crew that Broome County employees will be uh, doing the baggage handling and uh, refueling and all of that stuff instead of having a real airport ground crew. So tell everybody they should pack their bags with a little extra padding on the outside if that happens. Um and the other thing that's happening is uh, uh, supposedly the airport or Broome County as a whole um, are going to build a 35-acre solar farm adjacent to the runway. Um, my first question was, well, is that like a smart thing to do? And um, the answer that came back from the people that are interested in doing this was that they would tilt the solar panels in a direction that would not affect airlines coming into the airport. So my, my next question was, well, they come in from the South mainly and the, um, air national guard, when they practice, they come in from the East and the West. So would they be facing those solar panels to the North? And would that really be a smart thing to do? So I'll let you have uh, other people call in. I just wanted to pass some info on. Um, you ever want to have lunch and talk about Providence or local politics, 
you know how to find me. All right. Um, well, one of these days yeah. I will because I, I as I uh, uh, have reminisced about Rhode Island and Providence specifically, um, just one of the people I never had a chance to meet was the legendary mayor, Buddy Ciancio. By the way, and since you lived in Rhode Island for, for some time, for people not familiar with the legacy of Mayor Ciancio in Providence, give us sort of the condensed version of, of this guy and his life and times. Uh, Buddy Cianci is, a, Cianci is the correct pronunciation, um, was a little short Italian guy who always wore a very bad rug. Um, he would go to anything, any function in the city of Providence. He would be there. He would show up. Everybody in Rhode Island loved Buddy. But Buddy was also part of the, um, as they say, underground mafia connection. So it was very interesting living there for 20 years, watching how politics and the mafia all intermingled. Um he had he had a talk show on um, CNN, I believe it was, or he was always on the Imus show. Imus loved him. Well, he was and, big. Uh, he had a big uh, radio talk show on an AM radio station in Providence. I think uh, yeah. it was probably a show they could have called it Providence Now, for all I know. <laughs> probably didn't. It was probably, you know. Uh, mornings with Buddy, but uh, WPRO was a, a very powerful and, and at one time a respected radio station. Then they hired Buddy Cianci. Yep. Well, like I said, he um, he got convicted of a stupid thing, uh, something personal that he did. Um, if you ever want to read a great political book, you should read The Prince of Providence, The Life of Buddy Cianci. You will be amazed at the he was the original Teflon Don. I mean, if you read the book, you will you will just love the ending. The man was um, nothing stuck to him. Well, some people are that way. I won't name names, but I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But uh, sadly, sadly, we we lost Buddy Cianci in January 2016. So he's he's been away for over six years. I always wanted to meet him, though, after I heard about his, excuse the expression, shenanigans. I always, and then after he got out hosting the talk program in Providence, I always wanted to have a chance to meet him or at least talk with him, and I, I never got it. By the way, here's here's a pro tip. Anybody who calls himself Buddy, watch out. So say, and again, it doesn't apply to everyone, but say if starting tomorrow morning, it's sort of a subliminal ploy, and and suddenly I'm referring to myself on this program as Buddy Joseph, run, don't walk. Well, listen, I hate to give up the whole book, but the best part of the thing, Buddy was mayor for a long time. He wanted to be a member of a very private club that's up on the east side of Providence. It's uh, a private club that was um members were all university ceos company ceos uh who's who of people because you had brown university up there providence college was up there RISD was up there um but he always wanted to be a member of this club and they would never ever let him in he applied every year and they always turned him down and finally the club decided they needed to do a remodel 
And so they applied for a building code permit to do their upgrades, and it cost them a membership to Buddy in order to get the, the, the code permit. So Buddy actually was convicted at one point of, you know, <laughs> um, many different things, but yeah. Buddy finally did get in the club. But well, there were yeah. so many stories you wouldn't believe. Here's something interesting, and I don't know, it sounds... In some ways, it sounds familiar. This is according to the Internet. Buddy Cianci pushed to create an arts and entertainment district downtown. <laughs> Did you ever hear anything like that, where a mayor would be pushing to create an arts and entertainment district? He wanted the downtown to be artist-friendly, asserting it would attract not only artists, but well-educated workers, high-tech firms, economic development, and tourism. So... Yeah, can you imagine a city, you know, with a, a mayor pushing to create an arts and entertainment district? That that's, that would be your first first concern. Like, what's going on here? Are, are they trying well, to are they trying to emulate Buddy Cianci? Well, you know, once you have a good game plan, you know, all the politicians finally fall in line sooner or later and figure out the game plan. <laughs> that's um, what I'm told. That that somebody told me, and this applies to basically every human endeavor including radio talk shows, there's no such thing as an original idea. Well, if you really, really research it, you'll find that during the 70s or 80s, and, and you know, I'm getting old, so I can't remember exactly, but the um, city of Providence actually spent hundreds, millions and millions and millions of dollars re, um, redoing two rivers. They, they actually moved rivers in the city of Providence and... Bottom line, it was all mob-connected money at the bottom line, getting, you know, federal money. And But they did. They changed two rivers at tremendous amount of money. They have a beautiful uh, river river walk. Um, do they have, like, a park, like a confluence park or something like that? Yeah, they do. Have, uh, over on the east side, they did this whole thing where, like, on Friday and Saturday nights, they had these huge cauldrons out into the... the um, the rivers that they would set on fire with uh, logs and stuff, and people could, you know, walk along the river walk. There were all kinds of bars and clubs, and it was, like I said, it was a great place to live. All right. Sounds like I've got, I, I have the first five ideas I need for my platform when I run for mayor in three years. Appreciate the, uh, the call. Thank you. Yeah, anything on the airport, tell people to call in. Let us know what's going on. All right, thank you. Send 54. Bob Joseph on your side. Now more than ever on WNBF and WNBF.com. This Friday. WNBF, WNBF.com. With the happy-go-lucky Bob Joseph. Always happy to be here. National Weather Service offers some guidance for later today. Scattered thunderstorms possible this afternoon and tonight. A few thunderstorms may produce damaging wind gusts and heavy downpours. Isolated locations which have multiple or slow-moving thunderstorms, could have flash flooding. So pay attention. The official forecast 
Some showers and thunderstorms this afternoon. Mostly cloudy, high 77. Tonight, cloudy. Showers, thunderstorms. Some storms will produce gusty winds and heavy rain. Low 62. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy. A few showers and thunderstorms early in the day with a high of 74. The outlook for Wednesday, mostly sunny, high 77. And right now, in downtown Binghamton, it's officially 68 at News Radio. Bob Joseph going to take a break, empty the spit valve. What? It's 11 o'clock, WNBF. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Good morning on this Monday, September 12th. It's 11.04. You're listening to WNBF. Mayor Jared Cram on Thursday visited construction crews in the First Ward to announce details of the $1.2 million Glenwood Avenue reconstruction project, which began last week. Mayor Cram said Glenwood Avenue serves thousands of residents traveling to work, school, and businesses in the First Ward and was in terrible condition. This reconstruction project will make long overdue repairs and improvements to the street and upgrade the underground infrastructure that so many residents rely on. It's part of the city's commitment to investing in our infrastructure and making sure taxpayers receive the quality services they deserve. The reconstruction work will take place on Glenwood Avenue between Clinton Street and Prospect Street. It includes removal of trolley tracks and sub-base, new pavement, new curbs and sidewalks, and upgrades to the underground water and sewer systems. On September 10th, shortly after 8 a.m., New York State Police at Ithaca were dispatched by Tompkins County 911 to a report of a vehicle that crashed into a wooded area off Coddington Road in the town of Ithaca. An investigation at the scene revealed that sometime in the morning hours of September 10th, Shea Colbert, age 20, of Bridgewater, New Jersey, was traveling southeast on Coddington Road in the town of Ithaca. Colbert exited the roadway and struck multiple trees within the wooded area. He was pronounced dead on scene. No one else was in the vehicle. Troopers were assisted by members of Bangs Ambulance, Ithaca Fire Department, and the medical examiner, and the investigation is ongoing. The governor of New York has declared a state of emergency over polio as evidence emerges that the virus is spreading across the state. Health officials say wastewater samples in New York City and four adjacent counties have tested positive for a polio virus that can cause paralysis. Although only one case has so far been confirmed, it was the first in the country in nearly a decade. Polio is largely eradicated from the U.S. by vaccinations that began in 1955. By 1979, the U.S. was declared polio-free. But according to New York officials, vaccination rates are too low in parts of the state. Friday's emergency declaration is aimed at boosting flagging immunization rates. There is no cure for polio, but it can be prevented by the vaccine. Mostly affecting children, the virus typically causes muscle weakness and paralysis, and in the most serious cases, permanent disability and death. According to a report in the Associated Press, the amount of yearly uncollected tolls on the Pennsylvania Turnpike grew by nearly 50% last year. A new government audit is urging the Turnpike Commission to address the problem and make changes to improve its finances. According to the AP report, the information follows up on an internal study that said more than $104 million in tolls from the Pennsylvania Turnpike were left on the table in 2021. The AP says an update in May found that number had grown to $155 million. The report indicates the losses had been anticipated after the Turnpike converted to all-cash collections in 2020 laying off hundreds of toll collectors and auditors. Many vehicles have EasyPass that is supposed to record vehicle information and collect the toll information, billing drivers. 
Although Turnpike cameras read license plates of vehicles without Easy Pass and send bills to their owners, there are problems with obscured or faded plates, camera system failures, and getting money from scofflaw drivers. The Associated Press cites Turnpike officials as saying increasing traffic and higher tolls are driving the increase. State lawmakers and advocates who support an increase in New York's minimum wage are making a renewed push for the measure amid rising costs, a tight labor market, and a recognition of labor's contributions as the summer ends. The Raise Up New York coalition at the New York City Labor Day parade this weekend sought to revive the successful campaign of only a few years ago to increase the state's minimum wage to $15. Supporters of a higher wage point to the higher cost of living, squeezing workers out of the gains made from that effort, Business organizations are likely to oppose any upward change in the state's minimum wage, pointing to the higher cost of doing business in New York and additional price pressures created by inflation. But wage workers in recent years have also made inroads. Workers at Starbucks and Amazon have successfully made union drives, and some employers have voluntarily lifted their hourly minimum pay in response to a worker shortage. It's 1108, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Right now about 64 degrees, 100% humidity, and a dew point of 64. Today, chance of showers mainly after 2 p.m., mostly cloudy, a high near 73 degrees, a 40% chance of rain. Tonight, chance of showers and thunderstorms, then showers likely and possibly a thunderstorm after 8 p.m. Might see some gusty winds and heavy rain. Mostly cloudy with a low near 60 degrees, a 60% chance of rain. Tomorrow, a chance of showers and thunderstorms before noon and a chance of showers between noon and 3 p.m. Mostly cloudy, a high near 70 degrees, a 50% chance of rain. Tomorrow night, chance of showers and thunderstorms before 9 p.m. Partly cloudy, a low near 53 degrees, 40% chance of rain. And on Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 73. Wednesday night, partly cloudy, a low near 50 degrees. It's 1110. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290, WMBF. Surreal Bob Joseph. Hour number three on your Monday morning, taking the phone calls that no one else is willing to accept. I will accept them. If you call now, 607-772-1290. Call in and chat on WNBF. live in the river, especially in that van, my friend. It's WNBF, Bob Joseph. Let's play telephone roulette. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. It's Ron from Binghamton calling. Good morning, Ron from Binghamton. Welcome to the show that just never ends. Thank you. 
Say, Bob, uh, I was trying to get through in the last hour. You were talking to a gentleman about uh, Rhode Island. And uh, I, I was saying, it made me think, um, this was not what I called about, but do you know, I'm sure you do, that uh, Rhode, that Delaware County is bigger than the state of Rhode Island in land? Well, I didn't know that specifically, but if somebody had said, Bob, do you think Delaware County, by land volume, is bigger than Rhode Island? I would say, yeah, probably, but I didn't know that. Thanks. Now I don't have to go and look it up. Well, actually, I I knew that Delaware County was. Someone had told me that, so I did look it up, and I found out that there are five counties in New York that are bigger than Rhode Island. In fact, St. Lawrence County is over two times bigger than the state of Rhode Island. And this, this is, again, reinforces the fact that I am uh, what's called an anti-bicameralist. Uh, I, uh, I think that uh, we should have stopped with having a House of Representatives and no Senate. But the little states wouldn't allow that back in uh, 1775 they said wait hey, we're little if if this uh, if our congress is going to be based upon population then we're going to lose out so the deal was made to have a senate and to have two senators from each state no matter how small the state so uh you know Rhode Island's got uh, two senators i think maybe Delaware County should have a senator or two a US senator or St. Lawrence County. You know, what are we doing here? Do you know Broome County is smaller than Rhode Island? <laughs> well, no senator for you. Thanks. But you know what? Having said that, it doesn't mean we're a bad county. You know, some people might say, oh, so Delaware County is bigger than Rhode Island, so they must be a better county. But in this particular case, size doesn't matter. No, size isn't everything, Bob. We know that. Uh, yeah, but I, I just actually, I, I called about something else, and maybe I can get to that. Uh, a kind of a trivia. Uh, you remember, of course, the miracle on ice when the U.S. hockey team beat the Soviet Union back in 1980. Yeah, it reminds me of Jeff Platsky. Ah. Actually, I think, I think Jeff Platsky covered that, didn't he? When he was up in uh, Lake Placid? Well, I think so, yes. And uh, the, the, the thing I wanted to bring up about the miracle on ice, another kind of trivia, and now we're getting kind of a uh, little arcane here, but the fellow who scored the winning goal, which was the fourth goal, was Mike Erosione. Ar- 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 I think is, I'm not saying his name quite right, Erosione. Ar- uh, he scored the winning goal. And the uh, player who gave, gave the assist, who was credited with the assist on that goal, was a, a hockey player by the name of Mark Pavlich. After the uh, Soviet Union was defeated, he went on to play for the New York Rangers for a while. He was a very good player. Um, what happened to Mark, Mark Pavlich, uh, last year, he committed suicide at the age of 63, and you're not going to guess what they discovered was the reason. Behind. Oh, probably CTE. That's correct. 
Uh, he had CTE. He was prior to um, his being, he was arrested. I don't know if he was jailed, but he went after a neighbor with a pipe. He had the same kind of experience. Many, many people who uh, end up with CTE, some of them much younger than him. Uh, so uh, that that's another case of CTE. I, I'm bringing that up. As, as you know, I've been on uh, this issue. And I just wanted to point out, you know, we're we're reveling right now. We're back into football season. Thank God football season has started. And when does it start, uh, actually? Uh, when will they start well, playing the games? Because I'm a big Bills fan. Do you know when when their first game will be? Boy, you, you've been on vacation and out of it, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been out of the loop, but um, I would assume that probably next week or this week or next that they'll probably play their first game over where they play over. Um, don't they play in Rochester this season? Well, uh, see, you were, you've been out of the loop, so I have to tell you that the Buffalo Bills have moved to Austin. Austin you know, I thought that could happen because uh, my fear was Kathy Hochul wasn't going to move quickly enough to give the um, Floridians who own the uh, Buffalo Bills NFL franchise wasn't going to give them the $3 billion in tax money that they needed to build a, a new stadium in Twin Orchards. So, um, so they did move, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a shame. Was, that's a shame. Was, <laughs> that's a great shame. So um, now I think the the concessions for beef on Weck are going to Austin. The whole bit. I mean, you know, lock, stock, and barrel. Uh, no well, more plus Austin. chicken wings. Now all, all the wings. all the wings that that people sell around the world have been rebranded Austin wings. Austin wings. Beer tender, give give me uh, an order of five Austin wings. Okay, Bob. And interestingly, Bob, as we're discussing, Erie County is smaller than Rhode Island. Figures. Yeah, but but they thought they were big enough, and this goes just to prove the point, that they weren't big enough to keep the bills there because they didn't come up with $3 billion quick in tax money, and so the bills had to move to Austin. If only Erie County and the governor had acted more quickly to give the Floridians who own the NFL bills. So, by the way, so they're called the Austin Bills now? How odd. That's, you know, to me, that just sounds unseemly. It does. And Governor Greg Abbott is sending the overflow crowd on buses to Buffalo to stick it in their eye. Well, at least he's not sending them to end well. Imagine if he sent, if Governor Abbott and his Lieutenant Governor Costello were sending all the overflow to end well to Highland Park. That that wouldn't go over well. Wow, who's on first? You know what? I I am completely out of the reason I called. Now I I can't get to it. That's going to have to be for another time. Well, let's uh, save that maybe for tomorrow or, or Friday. I'm probably yeah, yeah. just uh, parenthetically. I I don't think I'm going to be able to work all five days this week. I feel some sort of, you know, how you get sometimes when you feel that you're going to have a sickness coming on where you won't be able to work all five of your scheduled days. I'm kind of getting that feeling. Ah, uh, yes, a, a scheduled sickness. Yeah, 
well, that's what it would be. It would be a schedule conflict. I could call in and say, you know, uh, well, now we don't even have a person to call. It's automated. So I would just call the automated number and punch in my 35-digit employee code because, remember, I matter. So I I punch in my 35-digit employee code, and then you run down the menu of reasons why you can't report. You go down to press zero for other. That's what I'll press. Schedule schedule conflict. Fortunately, I I have a schedule conflict between 9 and 5 on Thursday. Hey, Bob, really screw them up. Press all of the above. Ha! And they would say, we're not surprised. We're, we're not surprised, bub. All right, well, thanks for the call. I'll, I will be here tomorrow. That much I can tell you. Okay, see you then. All right. <laughs> I will be here Tuesday. Uh, Thursday, you know, as they say, I feel like Dr. Fauci. I'm doing a self-diagnosis. You know when you feel sort of the early stages of COVID-23, early onset COVID-23? I, I'm fine now. I know I'll be well tomorrow, but I'm, we'll just say Wednesday and Thursday. That just feels kind of iffy. See what I'm saying? <clears throat> it just feels that way. Mm-hmm. Miller Auto Team, the Miller Motors people, are there for you. Yes, they show up like clockwork every Monday morning. They're there for you on every morning, Monday through Saturday. They're there for you if you want a car. If you're in the market for a car, show up at Miller Auto Team, Miller Motors, 4455 Vestal Parkway East, directly across from Binghamton University. Show up there Monday morning, Tuesday morning, and so on, all the way through Saturday, and there you go. Your friends on the Miller Auto Team are there to serve you. So if you're interested in a brand-new Honda, a brand-new Hyundai, chat with them. They'll explain the options. They'll Find a color that will be perfect. They'll find, you know, do you want two doors, three doors, seven doors? I don't know if they can do seven doors, but, hey, never hurts to ask. The Miller Auto Team, they're open tonight till 7. Stop in, see what they have to offer. If you want to check out their current used vehicle inventory, it's online, MillerAutoTeam.com. Miller Motors, on the parkway in Vestal. They do have a work ethic. They've been working for you for decades, and they will continue to work for you for a long time to come. Stop in. Say hi to your friends at Miller Motors. 1123, this is Bob Joseph, 607-772-1290. And if you are interested, send an email to bob at wnbf.com, and then click a stock stopwatch to see just how many days it takes for me to respond from WNBF and WNBF.com If I could write you a song to make you fall in love I would already have you under my arm Use the ball of my tricks. I hope that you like this, but you probably won't. You think you're cool with me. You got designed and shades just to hide your face. And you wear them around like you're cool with me. And you never say, hey, yo, remember my name. And 
are cooler than me, that is. It's Bob Joseph, WNBF, getting it done on a Monday. Coming up, we'll have a very special segment. It's called Bob Opens His Email After Being on Vacation. I don't know exactly when it will be, but it's coming up between now and noon. Highly anticipated segment by some people. Bob opens his email after being on vacation. The question is, how many emails will I have? Will it be under 50, I hope? Will it be more than 100? Yeah, probably. Anyway, I'm looking forward to it, and we'll do it live uh, here on the radio. If I remember, in the next 30 minutes for Bob opens his email after being away for more than a week. Meanwhile, though, we go back to the phones, which are still operating. Vinny from Binghamton, good morning. Hey, good morning, Bob. Welcome back. I um, I don't know if uh, how many people saw the opinion page yesterday in Sunday's paper, but there's an excellent um, article by a Mike Kelly. I, his email looks like it says North Jersey, but anyways, it's entitled "Can Americans Ever Unite the Way We Did After 9/11?" It's really, really good. It's one of those things that takes you back and. He goes all the way through of how we came together, you know, back then. Being, you know, 9-11, the anniversary, and, and how far have we come and how far have we actually gone backwards. And he talks about so many things. He talks about back then, 79% of Americans back home said they displayed an American flag in some way. A year later, 62% of Americans often felt patriotic as a result of 9-11. Trust in the government soared to 60%, the highest in three decades, and a peak that has not been reached since. Then he talks about George Bush approval ratings was 86. 78% among Democrats liked him. Yankee Stadium, you know, you saw Rudy Giuliani, George Pataki, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton smiling and waving, small flags. And it's like, what happened? And he goes through everything. The only thing that, I mean, you could see that he couldn't add a lot. But my 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 whole outlook on it is a lot of the disagreements, a lot of the division came from two places, our media and our politicians. A lot of the people that you think, oh, this person, that person, it wasn't from them. It came from the top about the division. And like I said, I remember, I remember Chris Matthews when he was on MSNBC praising George Bush. I remember Phil Donahue getting canceled. I remember, uh, was it Bill Maher, ABC, getting canceled because they didn't, they, they had some disagreement with us going into Iraq. And as we all know, a lot of people that disagreed were right. Well, that's interesting, too, by the way. The people you mentioned who got canceled, they were canceled by the liberal media. Absolutely. So isn't that interesting? The liberal media, in the aftermath of 9-11, canceled some of the most popular liberal media stars for not towing the line. Absolutely. They were. They were all behind this. And what happened is, like I said, and what's not in this article is 
the part of where we went to war. Now, you remember, we had a lot to say about Joe Biden and how he pulled out, but he didn't go in there to begin with and stay in there for 20 years. We were supposed to be after Osama bin Laden, but somehow we made a right turn and went into Iraq. And that's when it got nasty and muddy, and there's a president that Republicans don't even want to talk about anymore because you knew he was wrong. Not a oops. He was wrong. A lot of people died. A lot of innocent Afghanistans died. And, you know, we, we, talk, we talk about the border, you know, and, and can you imagine, like I said, we're so far away from it that we trust, Americans trust what our news brings us. But we don't even, we don't even know what's going on over there now, Bob. We don't even know what the aftermath is in Afghanistan. What's going on over there? By the way, most Americans, and you probably are aware of this, most Americans don't want to know. I know. I'm, I mean, we should. That's a sad yeah. state of affairs. But I will say this about many people in America. I can't say whether it's 20, 40, 60, 80 percent. Unfortunately, many people in America are apathetic about anything that happens outside their neighborhood, except for, say, the Bills. It's too bad they moved to Austin, but like I say, what can you do? It was inevitable because they didn't get the money, the handout that they wanted. Bottom line is, most Americans, the only there are two things they care about. Their favorite sports team could be the Bills or the Yankees or whatever, and uh, gas prices. Not necessarily in that order, but that's that's basically it. I mean, now that it's football season, everybody's fixated on the Bulls and how they'll do it in their new home in Texas. But the bottom line is, ultimately, if gas prices are below $4 a gallon and your favorite team, I know there's baseball fans listening, so say if you're a Yankees fan, if the Yankees make it to the Super Bowl, then then you're going to be happy. Otherwise, they don't care what's going on. In Canada, Mexico, Cuba, North Korea, Iraq, Iran, uh, I walked uh, Afghanistan, whatever, Pakistan, they don't care because it doesn't directly and immediately affect them. It will in the long term. They should care. But for the most part, they just don't care. True. That's, That's true, Bob. But you know what I think is also true? I think many Americans trust that the politicians or the people that we elect do what's right. And I think what happens is a lot of them don't. You know, there are still those out here running for office that believe that the, 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 um, Joe Biden shouldn't be in there because that everything was stolen and, and this and that. How can, can, how can you come from 9-11 to here now? Right. Now, by the way, and I'm looking at this column now, and uh, thankfully Gannett still employs a few columnists somewhere in the country. This Mike Kelly, he works for uh, NorthJersey.com, so the thing that evidently was printed in the Binghamton paper, sort of being a Binghamton Uh columnist, it was a columnist from North Jersey, Mike Kelly, who, yeah, looking at, at this piece, looks like he's right on the money. Right on the money. Uh, too bad we didn't have, say, a David Rossi or somebody in Binghamton, but at, at least Gannett still hasn't fired all of their writers across the country because Mike Kelly and some of their other writers have, have some very important things to, to tell us. 
Yeah, I mean, he absolutely. He's got these this this part. I love it where he says he's like, we we say we want clean air, but we fight over climate change. We say we want our kids to be able to read, but we fight over books in our libraries. We claim to stand for individual rights, but resent someone using a pronoun we don't approve to define their gender identity. We say we believe in democracy, but far too many of us continue to falsely claim that the last presidential election was stolen. How can you come from 9-11 to where we are now? We're supposed to be going up. But it's just like we're we're just, just it's almost like a free fall. It's like, where are you getting this information? And when I look, it's coming from the top. It's I'm going to read the, the I'm going to read the final few sentences of Mike Kelly's piece because I, I think I think it summarizes things quite well. In this emotional whirlpool, it's hardly shocking that far too many of us wonder what happened to America. America isn't great, it's lost its bearings. Once upon a time, on a day that dawned so bright and hopeful and quickly became soiled by soot and despair, America came together. Today, we are as fractured as a window that was struck by a rock. 21 years ago, we did not worry about all the smoke and rubble. The news of that day was scary, but many of us were not afraid. In our collective guts, we knew we could pull through together. Our common light still burned amid the darkness. Today we live in a world of shadows. We seem to fear each other more than the terrorist who once attacked us. Yeah, that's a good article. It's great. He should win yep. an award. Mike yep. Kelly from NorthJersey.com apparently, as of the time he wrote that, September 8th, was still employed by Gannett. Probably will be in the next round of firings. I hope not. It just makes me sad that, you know, somebody who has this worldview, we, we used to have people like this here in Binghamton who would write columns, you know, Dave Rossi or some other columnists who were employed even they were our friends our neighbors i mean when dave rossi lived in shenango bridge you know you would look forward to his uh -huh. column on sundays and then his outdoors column and then maybe one or two other opinion columns during the week and let's be honest a lot of the people listening to this program and listening to wnbf often found themselves at odds with dave rossi's worldview but uh -huh. we were all we were all the better for the stuff he wrote. Even if you disagreed with everything he wrote, at least it was a local person, somebody who lived basically in our backyard. And so he, he did understand the people of Binghamton, and he knew. Let's face it, Dave Rossi knew if he wrote a, a column that, that might espouse some views that weren't necessarily the most popular among the Binghamton Press subscribers. But the fact is, he offered an opinion, and those things are important, and even now. So I'm, I'm giving credit. I know I feel badly that Gannett is in the current state it's in. It's not my fault. I've supported Gannett from the beginning, and right. I can't tell you how many thousands of dollars I've pumped into the Gannett operation over the years. So it's not my fault mm -hmm. that Gannett is in such bad shape. It's, it's a bunch of uh, executives who yeah. – uh, you know, yep. but so I still support 
and and just so everybody know, knows, I want to always clarify. I support anybody affiliated with Gannett and Broome County and Binghamton and at all any other local site. You know, I support them yeah. in their battle against against the people who would shut them down. So, yep. and, and again, so tip of the hat to Gannett, whoever it was who made the decision to print Mike Kelly's column in Sunday's Press and Sun Bulletin. As I said, I I was away for the week in terms of you uh-huh. know, being unplugged from news, but I give them credit for for printing it, for putting it on their websites, because Mike Kelly's words are very important for each of us. And I I suggest that people look up his column online, whether you look it up at Press Connects or some other Gannett website, and read everything he's written. I haven't read the whole thing. I just skimmed it. But I think he makes a, a very important point. And I will say, I was heartened last night when I was at the 9-11 remembrance ceremony at Highland Park in Endwell, I was uh-huh. heartened by what all of the local officials said, people who are Republicans or Democrats or a candidate who won as a libertarian. They all said the right things. And I yeah. remember thanking for the better part of an hour America is great. We don't need to make America great again. America was great last night at Highland Park and Endwell. America was great 21 years earlier, and America has been great. We don't need to make it great again. We are great. But the most important thing for us to continue America's greatness is to work together more. Yes. Yes. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I've never followed the people. I've never followed the people. I have just watched the media and the politicians because they know better. Well, and that's, that's they, the thing. They know better. Because the, the people who make decisions, whether they're political decisions or sometimes cynical decisions at media uh-huh. organizations, it's, it's in their self-interest. It's not necessarily yeah. in America's interest. Sometimes it, it, it happens to be. Sometimes they make decisions that just happen to be both in their own interest and in the nation's interest. But too often they put their own self-interest, whether it's the almighty buck or just winning their next election. And it's too cynical. We need to break away from this cynicism. Yep. Appreciate your call. Um, Thank you. It's 11.42. This is Bob Joseph. On News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Mo Dick. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Oh, yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, 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 Mr. Postman. Please, Mr. Postman, look and see. WNBF 1144. Okay, it's the time that you may have been waiting for. I personally have been dreading this, but it must be done. It's called Open My Email After Being Away for Over a Week. I know, you're saying, why even bother? Why not just delete your account? 
I know. Here we go, kids. At 11.45 a.m. on live radio, I will attempt to open my email for the first time since September 2nd. Here we go. Shouldn't do this. I have so much fear and trepidation. All right. Is that smoke supposed to be coming from the computer? Yipes. Yipes. Hold on. It's loading. Wish me a lot of emails. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's... um, Could be worse. Well, I know what I'm going to be doing this afternoon. It's like plowing through hundreds. Fortunately, it's not thousands. We'll just say several hundred emails. Great. Oh, great. (laughs) I can see a couple are actually promising as I look at the top of the list. On the other hand, on the other hand, some of these look just Well, some I can tell are just funny, but some are. Some I can tell from the subject line, some are just plain disturbing. So. And I'm, I'm still not back to day one. Yipes. Well, anyway, this looks like it'll be. A, it's going to be a day to remember as I have an opportunity to. Peruse hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails. If you sent me an email um, between 4.30 September 2nd and 11.47 this morning, remember, remember, I will respond as quickly as possible. (laughs) Yeah, I will. Well, here's something. Uh, This just in. A guy from Syracuse was sentenced today in federal court. He was fined $10,000 and two years of supervised release. So he was just sentenced. So there there is actual breaking news. That, That just came in within the last two minutes. So says, a guy from Syracuse was sentenced in federal court in Syracuse, $10,000 fine and two years of supervised release. I wonder how closely they'll supervise him. He was convicted for naturalizing contrary to law and submitting a false statement in a passport application. So that's let that be a lesson to you. If you are even thinking about the possibility of naturalizing contrary to law and then submitting a false statement in a passport application, this could happen to you if they catch you in the Northern District of New York. I should call up uh, the assistant U.S. attorney 
I remember the last time I talked to him. He's actually, actually, uh, it seems to be a friendly chap. I should call him and ask him for details about this guy who was convicted for naturalizing contrary to law. So the gist of it is, this guy was convicted following a jury trial in Binghamton. The trial evidence revealed this guy, who was a native of someplace else, used a fake name and falsely posed as the son of his uncle. I think I remember that episode. His uncle was a U.S. citizen and is now deceased. He did this, they say, to obtain lawful permanent residency in the United States of America and later to naturalize as a U.S. citizen and to apply for a passport. The guy later admitted in interviews with immigration and State Department officials that he knew these facts about his identity were false and that he had submitted these false statements to naturalize and obtain a passport. So it says this guy will also be denaturalized. And if that's ever happened to you, you know how painful that could be. He's going to be denaturalized as a result of his conviction. And no, it's not going to be televised. When this guy who was sentenced today, when they denaturalize him, nobody is going to probably be able to see it. So all I can say in his behalf, remember, I know nothing more about the case than what I'm reading in this news release from the Department of Justice. So there may be other mitigating factors here, but the bottom line is this guy from Syracuse who underwent a jury trial here in Binghamton and was convicted, not only is he going to have to pay $10,000 and then be subjected to two years of supervised release, but then to rub salt into the wound, they say they're going to denaturalize him. Well... It's bound to happen. 11.51 WNBF. And that's just one item that I've gleaned from my several hundred emails received over the last ten days. Oh, here's another one. A guy. Busy day for the Northern District of New York. In this case, another guy was sentenced to 51 months in federal prison. Notice how they can't say... He was sentenced to about four years in prison. He was sentenced to serve 51 months for committing wire fraud and filing false tax returns. Says this guy began operating some company 10 years ago. That's too complicated. Too long. Didn't read. 1152 WNBF, And that ends this episode of Bob Joseph tries to fathom his vacation time emails only on news radio WNBF and WNBF.com you wash your
57 with Bob Joseph at the big N, the mighty 1290. What about that spider? I got silly and found the frog, and by hollow log, and I shoot it at and I said, Yes, frog, you like a snake. See if we can squeeze in another call. Hi, you're on. WNBF Hotline, you're on. What's up? Hello? <laughs> uh, I want to squeeze in just one more call. One more call to make the program complete. But because of sunspots, I'm sure... I tell you, it's the sunspots every time. You would think, and there's not even supposed to be sunspots in September, but we have special phones that apparently bounce off the person who's making the call. It bounces the transmission off the surface of the sun, and then it's supposed to bounce down to our studio here in Binghamton. But sometimes they... Oh, here it goes. Yeah, you're on. Uh, sorry, we were having trouble with the sunspots. Good morning. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? I'm from Endwell. What's up? I'll wind up. I'll, I'll wrap up the show. My question is, how come all these uh, Democrat leaders that are for all for borders being wide open now that they're getting the all these migrants are getting sent to their uh, states? They're, like, freaking out. They want, like, all this help, and now they're shipping them, all these migrants, to uh, conservative suburbs. Why, Why don't they just send them back? Why don't they just put on the on the bus, return to sender? So if uh, Abbott and Costello keep sending people who, from their state to other states, just say, no, you can't dump people off into our streets. Take them back where you got them. Well, they can't. Dump them into their state either. They- no, no, my point is don't put people, anybody, man, woman, or child, on a bus and then take them to where they don't want to go. Am I right? No, you're absolutely wrong. No, no, I'm absolutely right. You don't. You don't put people onto a bus and take them to New York or Chicago or Binghamton because they probably don't want to go there. You don't do it. You just can't do it. Sounds illegal to me. That needs to go to the United States Supreme Court. They need to look into that and shut this thing down right now. Nip it in the bud. I'm Bob Joseph. Safe to say, mission accomplished here at News Radio, WNBF Binghamton.